More than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous and had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he healed the multitudes without medicine. He ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves as dry ground, and hushed the sea to sleep. He never wrote a book. He never founded a school. He never marshaled an army. Yet no man in history has more students and soldiers who follow him. The names of past generals, politicians, scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone, but the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread 2,000 years, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He sits on the highest throne of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils. He was God before he came into the world, even before the sun, the moon, and the stars began to shine. He was God when he invaded the earth from heaven at a place called Bethlehem. He is God today, gloriously enthroned on high. He is God eternally, forever God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our beloved Lord is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. He is the real Jesus. Hello, my name is Eric Holmberg. The following presentation begins as a response to ABC TV's controversial program, The Search for Jesus, hosted by Peter Jennings. Part one of this video focuses on the seven myths of the liberal critics made popular by the so-called Jesus Seminar. We will debunk these myths one by one. Although Jennings' documentary is now several years old, the misinformation generated by the Jesus Seminar is repeated endlessly by similar programs and news stories. In a future presentation, we'll look at how the heresies promoted by these liberal critics have provided the underpinnings for more recent novels and films, such as The Da Vinci Code. And we'll examine how Hollywood reinforces popular fallacies about Jesus through the conscious repackaging of ancient heresies. On June 26 of 2000, ABC Television aired The Search for Jesus, a two-hour-long special hosted by Peter Jennings. The program took viewers to Israel and interviewed locals, Christian pastors, clergymen, and laymen. But Jennings focused mainly on seven experts in the field of researching the historical Jesus. Four of the seven experts interviewed by Jennings were members of the Jesus Seminar 
a group of liberal scholars whose academic studies have sought to cast doubt on the divinity of Jesus. The other three experts were also skeptics concerning the supernatural aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. Absent from the program were any of the great number of well-known and credible historians who have a deep, committed faith in the inerrancy of Scripture and the deity of Jesus Christ. The search for Jesus relied almost solely on a school of thought called liberal theology or the historical critical method. At the end of the 19th century, a school of liberal theologians arose in Germany. They were called the higher critics. Their proclaimed goal was to isolate the historical Jesus from the God-man who had been worshiped and adored by the church for two millennia. The divinity of Jesus Christ was presumed to be a myth. His many miraculous works were deemed to be legend. The effect of these apostates has grown to the current day as they have stripped layer upon layer from the Jesus of the Bible until all they have now is a mere common man. The German higher criticism was an attack upon the original uh, authenticity of the documents of, of the Gospels and of the New Testament, that they were written later and that they were written by people who didn't have firsthand knowledge of the facts and so on, and they, that, that basically they were writing a, a, uh, an idealized picture of a Jesus who never existed. And the German higher criticism became actually the basis of worldwide uh, liberalism then in the United States at Union Theological Seminary and the liberal seminaries like that, they always appealed mainly to the works of the German higher critics. Dr. John Henry Ludlam Jr. was one of the greatest biblical scholars ever to come out of Yale University. He got his PhD there from the Department of uh, Religion or Philosophy, Near East, Ancient Near Eastern Languages and Literature, 1951. and. Uh, he has the distinction of being the only person there that they had on record up to that time, 1951, who received honors in all six of the fields in which he took his oral exams for the PhD. And all on his own, even though he began as a liberal and uh, was nevertheless intellectually honest, as he read more and more of the 19th century criticism of the Bible, he began to see that these people had no case, that they were making it up, that Wellhausen was just a precocious 18-year-old who, out of his own imagination, wrote a, quote, history of the religion of Israel, but had no documents, he had no evidence, he had no archaeological artifacts, he had nothing, but he just imagined how the history of Israel must have developed and he saw right through uh, the works that they were doing, that they were making this up, that they had no case, that they had no evidence, that they had no documents, but that they came to the Bible with a worldview already made up, and then they were going to force onto the Bible their worldview and use their worldview as the test of whether or not a given passage was or was not authentic. So Ludlam actually, over a period of years, came to see 
that the liberals had no case and he became a conservative and he became an evangelical and a believer in the authenticity of the documents of the New Testament, the divinity of Jesus, and went on to Yale to get his uh, doctorate and became a formidable opponent of the liberals because of his scholarly credentials. There are many evangelical scholars of the highest possible credentials who still believe in the authenticity of the New Testament documents, who still believe in the divinity of Christ, who still believe in the evangelical position. They are not unlearned hillbillies. And one of the best examples of that would be Dr. John Ludlam. Bauer, a German theologian at the end of the 19th century, uh, was very anti-Semitic and he was trying to divorce the scripture from its Semitic roots and just attribute it to so this whole movement of Aramaic and everything else, but it started to bring German higher criticism. When I went to seminary, I went to a mainline Episcopal seminary, all that we were teaching was the German theologians who were basically anti-Semitic, and that's why they were criticizing all of the scripture to remove any of the Semitic roots because it was abhorrent to their sort of Germanic attitudes about who should be extolled in terms of intellect. And there was a reaction to German higher criticism. It started off at Princeton Seminary, a great seminary, and that reaction was fundamentalism. And uh, as you look at fundamentalism and sitting within a mainline seminary, fundamentalism puts a grid before the gospel. It puts five fundamental points which we should believe in, the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus. All of those are good points. But by focusing on these points, this principle approach, you're distancing yourself from the gospel. This gospel is no longer speaking to you. You're now interpreting it through this grid, and this grid now has liberalized your theology. Your theology becomes less than a full-orb theology that starts at Genesis and ends at Revelation. So those two things just ripped the heart out of uh, the theological community. And then the people who decided who were on fire for the Lord and who were trying to retain the gospel and hadn't fallen into German higher criticism or hadn't fallen into neo-fundamentalism, those people uh, drifted away from any theological education at all and started churches and institutions. And this is the weaker of the three, and I don't want to get people upset by it, but because they, they abandon really the, the tough teaching of theology, uh, the theology became watered down. And as C.S. Lewis said, watered down Christianity is worthless. So when you water down Christianity, either through one of those three methods, you open up the uh, world to say this is bogus. And once they say it's bogus, they'll believe almost anything, which is including these uh, snippets of Gnostic Gospels that were written at the same time. In the early church, you had the same confusion. You had theology by analogy, theology by allegory. And it wasn't until later when Augustine started to do systematic theology, when you started thinking through the consequences of, of the whole nature of theology. The claims of the higher critics are nothing new. In the first and second centuries, early Christians had to deal with ridicule and abuse from Jewish rabbis and intellectual skepticism from Greek scholars and philosophers. Throughout the early centuries, bold apologists for the Christian faith, such as Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Justin Martyr, wrote volumes of practical wisdom defending the Gospels from the attacks of pagan critics. 
succeeding centuries gave the church many other brilliant experts in apologetics. But once Christianity had taken hold of the Western world, a new breed of skeptics arose out of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. Voltaire, the noted French infidel who died in 1778, said that in 100 years from this time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. But what has happened? Voltaire has passed into history, while the circulation of the Bible continues to increase in almost all the parts of the world, carrying blessing wherever it goes. Only 50 years after Voltaire's death, a Bible society used a hotel not far from his home in Lausanne as a depot for storing stacks of Bibles, a great irony of history. The early American patriot Thomas Paine published Age of Reason, a popular book ridiculing Christianity. Although Paine was a deist and not an atheist, he popularized the theory that the books of the Bible, especially the Gospels, were full of contradictions. This view continues to be popular among scholars even to this day. In the 1800s, rationalists such as Herman Samuel Romarus and David Strauss published sensational works denying the supernatural miracles of the Bible. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who coined the phrase, God is dead, is said to have lost his faith around the time he was reading Strauss's Life of Jesus critically examined. More recently, there was the Jesus Seminar, a council of liberal theologians who meet twice a year in an attempt to debunk the accuracy of the Gospels. Many of their so-called discoveries are simply repeats of what the liberal theologians of the 19th century said. Strangely, these opinions are rigidly held even though 20th century archaeology and textual criticism have refuted many of their claims. The Jesus Seminar's attempt to debunk the Gospels as invented history is not based on a thorough examination of the Bible's manuscripts. Unbiased examinations reveal ample evidence that the Gospel accounts are, in fact, historically accurate. But these so-called experts are undaunted by the facts. Even today, the skeptics continue to spread the error of an historical Jesus. Liberal scholars up until the time of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 assigned a later date to many books of the Old Testament. They rejected the early date of the books that accurately predicted the coming of the Messiah because so many of the prophecies were fulfilled to the letter. Since liberals rejected the supernatural in Scripture, they presumed there must have been a later date to the writings that accurately described the life of Jesus. For instance, the second half of Isaiah was deemed to contain forgeries by second century Christians because it contains so many prophecies that were accurately fulfilled by Jesus' life and mission. And then, one of the main pillars of liberal theology fell in 1947 with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which included a complete text 
of Isaiah. In his primetime special, Peter Jennings does note that Qumran exists. In 1947, shepherds chasing their goats found some ancient documents here, which we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were a tremendous find. Uh, previous to that, our best complete manuscript of the Hebrew Bible dated to a, about 1000 AD. Now, the Bible being copied by hand all those many centuries, one could reasonably wonder how many mistakes have entered in. And so there were responsible scholars who looked skeptically at the uh, purity and integrity and faithfulness of what's called the Masoretic text. Miller Burroughs, in his book on the Dead Sea Scrolls, from he's a scholar from Yale University and was one of the first architects of Dead Sea Scrolls scholarship. He says, herein lies its chief importance, that is, the chief importance of the great Isaiah scroll, supporting the fidelity of the Masoretic tradition. So the Isaiah scroll from Qumran was a bit of a surprise to some in that it had the net effect of validating the faithfulness of this medieval manuscript from around 1000 AD. Most of the differences between the Dead Sea Scroll Isaiah and that medieval Masoretic Isaiah are differences in spelling. Like in America, we spell the word labor L-A-B-O-R. In Britain, they spell it L-A-B-O-U-R. But we understand each other, and most of the differences between the two manuscripts are like that. And none of those differences in translation have any bearing on biblical truth. It's only a question of the wording of certain verses. The Dead Sea Scrolls validate the traditional Hebrew text of the Bible. With the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we now have an Old Testament that existed at least 150 years before Christ. All of the books of the Hebrew Bible, except Esther, are represented in the Dead Sea Scroll collection. Jennings fails to mention this in his documentary. Jennings also fails to mention that the Dead Sea Scrolls gives us evidence that the Hebrew Bible has been virtually unchanged over thousands of years, including the famous Isaiah Scroll that contains many remarkable prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. For many years, the higher critics held that the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, have been altered and changed. With this bias firmly in place, the critics then tried to eliminate the myths and discover the historical Jesus. The search for Jesus rejects or ignores all the archaeological evidence that supports the claims of the Bible. Throughout the special, Jennings ignores the many messianic prophecies of the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. He also neglects to examine the overwhelming evidence that the New Testament has come down to us in virtually unaltered form.